You're listening to the Mentors for Military podcast with your host, Robert Gowan, Rudy Lindsay, Mike Pretz, and Kat Caden, with special guest host, Scott Kinder. Times you got to be able to adapt, overcome, and come up with something new. And so in this case, uh, that's exactly what we did. And we thought about, well, this might be a great topic because it fits in very well with not only the military, but of course with the private sector. It fits really good. Like for me right now, I'm still active, still working on that. So really, you know, every, everything from our training to our mission, all that pretty much centers around adaptability. So, I mean, I live it like all day, every day. No, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it, it, both from the, the active duty military, especially in the special operations world, you know, it, every exercise, every mission, every plan, everything hinges upon being just, you know, as, as fluid and adaptable as possible. But then transitioning into the entrepreneurial world and, and trying to make a name for yourself and trying to, you know, identify business plans and ways forward and get new clients, that adaptability is key for success in, in the entrepreneurial world for certain. I think it's broader than, than just the soft world. I mean, it's it's the military in general. I mean, look at how much time we spend accomplishing things with inadequate resources, you know, with without enough time to prepare. I, I think it's what makes people in the military, uh, I mean, adaptable is a great word to, to use for this, Robert. It, it's, it's what makes us thrive. And I, I think that type of environment is where I perform the best. Those that are coming out of the, the military and going into the private sector, it's one of the things when, you know, you're in the interview process and they ask you, well, how do you feel about change? Well, we live in a constant change. I mean, is there ever anything constant when it comes to the military? I mean, really, it's always one of those things where we're always having to adapt to new situations, a new mission, personnel, whatever the case may be. It, it's always evolving. It's always changing. It may, it may even become that we become so accustomed to to change that being static for a while is a little bit more difficult. You know, I think the fluid environment is one that we work very well in. And, and if you're doing the same thing, more routine, uh, I would say, is more difficult for me than constantly changing and being adaptable. I think the more routine environment is definitely more worrisome for me because I feel as if I'm trying to adapt to something and trying to be prepared for something and through that preparedness, the, the nerves kind of tap in that I'm not, I'm missing something, right? Like what's coming at me that I'm not prepared for? What am I not taking into account in my, my pace planning or, or my just whatever methodology that I'm, I'm using at the moment? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, I've ran into others who said, you know, how did you, how did you make that change? Because, you know, there are folks that struggle with making the transition, but I think if you really get into the core of your adaptability and your ability to overcome some of those things, you start to realize that, no, you're quite accustomed to that. You know, you live in that space a lot. And if you are comfortable with that, like I am, I love change. It's the reason why I started getting initially into project management, process changes, creating organizational effectiveness, all of those types of things, because I really strived in that environment. I mean, I, it was a... It was an area that I was really comfortable in, and a lot of folks coming out of the military are as well. I mean, if you look back to, to our organizations that we come from, if you had somebody on a team who was, who was fearful of, of getting into a new, a new situation, fearful of change, I, we, I mean, I, I can tell stories from all the way back in the 80s to difference of the way things are now. If we were afraid to change, we wouldn't be effective. So maybe it is. Maybe somebody who's not adaptable is a little bit afraid of, of changing what, what they're comfortable with. Maybe it's getting outside of the comfort zone is difficult for them. 
you know, in the counseling that I used to do with my associates and subordinates and stuff was around change was whether you realize it or not, you're always in a in a state of change. There's never a state of constant. The old days of, you know, clocking in, doing a specific task within a cubicle or, you know, within an assembly line process or something like that is they're gone. The world with a global market, the way we have to constantly evaluate the marketplace, evaluate where our our market is in that marketplace or what what you know the niche that we're looking for and such we always have to be in a constant state of change and again it goes back to the training that we got within the military is very helpful in doing so because those who are in the private sector that might be evaluating it as well I you know I, I'm not comfortable with that I, I like the way things were the way we had it you know I'd get a piece of paper in I'd put a stamp over in the right hand corner I'd staple it in the left hand corner and then I'd put it in the outbox and then somebody would come and take it when I change that and I tell them that we're not going to do that anymore, then they start getting that uncomfortableness. And so I think there is a, a state of that where people are not maybe comfortable with change. But when you get down to it and start breaking down the pieces of it with that associate, that they begin to realize that actually they are always in a state of change. Things are always evolving, whether it's equipment, personnel, you know, whatever the case may be it, around them change is happening. There are certain environments where we we want procedure to to take effect and, and we don't wanna we don't want to vary from that. I mean look you've been sharing a lot of stuff lately with guys jumping out of airplanes. You know there's some Halo stuff going around. I shared one on Thursday. You put some up today. And we look at look at the procedure we follow for JMPI. Look at the procedure we follow for, you know, PWAC or, or you know actions in the aircraft, whether it's a static line jump or a halo jump. Uh, there there are certain things that and we're very sticky about changing them. I mean, it takes a, it takes a lot of analysis, and something usually has to go wrong before we we look at those procedures to change them. In other environments, we're very fluid, but I, I think we want certain environments that are that are safe, you know. And and there are probably certain professions that are like that as well. And and maybe maybe people comfortable in those professions aren't as adaptable because it's not a necessity. Where what we we accept on a daily basis in the military uh, is, I think a lot of it is is dealing with the uncertain. So change is is necessary. And I also I'm hearing the you know I'm hearing the word comfort and routine and the, the phrasing from being you know in our comfort zone, uncomfortable and, and changing paradigm shifts and, and changing mindsets. And and I think that that routine and that comfort is what when when we reach a certain point, right? That's where a lot of us start to fail because we think that we've reached a plateau in life that we can have this comfort that we've somehow earned this right to comfort and routine and that we don't have to continuously learn anymore and, and adjust our paradigms. But but it's really in that elite type of mindset that you learn that just because you've reached the next rank or a position or a title or whatever, that learning ethos and that comfort, you should always challenge yourself to expand that comfort zone to be adaptable and to grow into new things because, you know, the sky's the limit, right? So, so I think that adaptability is understanding and being able to overcome your comfort zone and that desire for the routine and that desire for easy. Yeah, you know, and I mean, you touched on something, Mike, when you talked about more or less dealing with life and death situations. You you follow a process to the T to make sure that there is, for lack of better terms, in the private sector side, quality performed in a high standard level of quality, because in terms of what you just described, it could be a life or death situation, whereas in the private sector, it could be 
how a product is designed, how it's viewed by the, the consumer that actually gets it. So in times you have to adapt in order to make sure that the consumer gets a better product, that the quality is improved, that the the decisions are made between the deliverables of the process, that they're eliminated so that you eliminate non-quality processes within that that don't affect the outcome so that you can do it more efficient, speed to delivery, those types of things. So again, it's like I mentioned, it's really adaptability. I mean, you have to adapt all the time to the to the environment, whether it's a product, a service, or delivery. Yeah, and I think if you don't, in the, in the environment you're talking about, you, you fall behind because other people are certainly going to. Well, McChrystal, you know, and, and team of teams, you know, and in the software, you know, we have VUCA, right? Volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And, and I, so if we understand the, the social market and the social economy that we're living in, you know, the examples, the easy examples are Hilton Hotels took 93 years to reach 160 million rooms, but Air Bread and Breakfast did it in four years, you know, offering up the same amount of rooms. These paradigms are being tossed on, on their butts, you know, out these old business models, these old comfort. Um, so, so being a adaptable in this environment, but but volatile and uncertainty is not just in the military. That's in the business world. That's in your personal world. You know, anything can happen to you personally, professionally, or anywhere that, that throws volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and definitely ambiguity in your life, right? Diseases happen. Things happen. Job changes happen. You know, the, the global financial crisis, they're still talking about it daily here in Australia, you know, the big GFC. Um, all of this stuff happens. A 401k disappears, right? You have to continuously be adaptive and open to change you know people who become more habitual in their in their process you know they they form a habit of doing certain things a certain way they get that sense of comfort and unfortunately some people especially as you get older you get a lot more comfortable in a certain way of doing things as you come to work you come in through the same door you go to the same uh, workspace you actually perform the same jobs and repetition you actually leave at the same time each day you drive home the same way you go and eat certain meals on certain evenings you you form these habitual processes or these these steps and stuff in your life that you may not even realize but you want to hear some bitching when change happens like when mike talked about you know the jmpi Add a step to the JMPI or change the the vaunted, you know, venerable JMPI status, and oh my lord, you you never hear such complaining. Introduce in your entire a life. new canopy or a new container, oh. and and you've got to retrain the entire force, and you've got years of institutional knowledge that are just gone. And you know, we just went through that a few years ago. We're we're doing it uh, now, or probably since I've retired, they've already done it with the new Halo systems that we've got. You have all this knowledge, uh, and again, it's about safety. So, and I think when we're talking about safety, we want procedure. I, I've got a, a very good friend of mine who used to be a free fall instructor down at Yuma for four years and, uh, you know, a free fall team sergeant. He's a fantastic guy, but he would harp on me about procedure and a lot of things that we did. He was, he was my first sergeant for a while. We were old teammates. I brought him in to be a first sergeant with me. And th- this guy could remember procedure from the very first time he had done a, a JMPI. And, and it's, it's amazing to have that kind of that kind of knowledge that you've got to change not just for one person, but for the entire force. And uh, and again, like Scott said, it, you know, there's a lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth when you have to do it. It's evident in how adaptable the military is because we just like there's procedure to do it every time. We establish a procedure for change, and and we put everybody through that change process, and then. Once again, it becomes, you know, becomes normal. You know, new jump masters today, 
Oh, well, they never had to deal with that. So it's, it's, they'll go through it too. I mean, it's kind of incredible to watch when you stand back. Well, yeah, there, I mean, you think about it, there are people out there as consultants that are making a living on change management and explaining and consulting what that is to industry, how it is that you have to adapt in order to survive. I mean, when you think about those aspects of it, I mean, you have certain standing operating procedures within any type of organization, especially those that are in a manufacturing environment, because without the SOPs, it's the same thing like the military. You're going to have errors. You're going to have defects. You're going to have problems that are going to occur. It's either going to affect the quality or it's going to affect something within the process that's going to make the delivery time longer or something of that nature. So it really follows very much in line with what you just described, Mike. And you have to have procedures, but you also have to be able to adapt those procedures to the environment, to the changing space that's coming as well. You have to understand that when we say procedures, oftentimes we're not constrained by this left and right limits that is your, you know, only what you can do, this checklist of, of things that you have to abide by each and every time. The, the procedures are, are simply for, for safety. You know, when we're talking jump mastering and, and making sure that the, the parachutes warm properly so when you exit the airplane, you, you're getting the right opening shock instead of the, the ground shock, right? But procedures for safety are one thing, but procedures as far as standard operating procedures are, are wholly holistically different because they enable you to to continuously adapt them and to to grow best practices out of them but that's that institutional knowledge is a great point that mike made a few minutes ago and if that institutional knowledge isn't captured someplace then as soon as you know the sergeant major gets hit by the hit by the bus or the team leader you know retires all of a sudden it's gone it's vanished 20 30 years of institutional knowledge out the door Scott, I think you give entirely too much credit to the sort of major involved here. So <laughs> it's Mike. I miss it. You look pretty good post the body, man. So <laughs> yours, yours didn't take I didn't go to the much. academy, man. I went to Air Force school. That's that's the whole difference. Oh, there it is. <laughs> I was looking for the scar earlier, but I couldn't see it. So. <laughs> no, but I I think you know you, you hit on something where we in in addition to being adaptable, we also have to have procedure. I mean, I mean, there's there's a time and a place where, where there's the right thing to do, and we don't deviate from that. And, and then there's a time when ambiguity sets in, and that's where soft really comes into play in the world. And, and that's when we, we use our minds and we think a little bit differently than, than a lot of organizations. But I, I think there's definitely a time to follow procedure. There's probably the same thing, you know, Robert, in the business world where you have to. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, again, you know, it comes down to if you don't follow certain procedures, you may not be able to attain certain regulatory certifications. You may, uh, again, have defects or errors or want to have good quality. So absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, when, it, when, I, and when I say procedures, too, sometimes they're not always written procedures. Sometimes they're just known procedures like what you guys are talking about somewhat as well. But I mean, it still comes down to the same thing. If you really dig down deep into it, you probably start realizing that change is always around you in some way. There's changing of prices for products and services that you find out here, whether it's going to the pump and getting your gas, whether it's going to the grocery store and getting your milk. There were changes that happen within the market space that caused those prices to fluctuate that you're paying out that additional money. 
So when you start thinking about change and adaptability, you've got to be able to adapt in those situations and you've got to be able to have the right amount of income set aside to be able to offset when the gas prices go up. And that means that you still have to get to work and you still got to come home and you still got to buy the milk. And, you know, again, it's it's about making those adjustments that's necessary and having the wherewithal really to be able to adapt with it as it changes. I think part of that, not only just being adaptable, but then, uh, but then willing to take that leap of faith. I mean, I think that's a big thing with us, like from, from that soft perspective on it is, you know, we'll, we'll master something and, you know, even before we even start getting comfortable with it, then you start, you know, expanding onto something else and, and driving, driving. But the same thing, like you get to that point, you know, the adaptability portion of it and you're looking at it to where there's certain people that you will take that leap of faith moving on to the next step. And you see a lot of people, like, they want to do that. They want that change. They want to make that adapt, but they they, they just won't make that, that leap, you know. And, and, and I think you look at it from our world that we thrive on that, to take that leap and step forward with it. I think that's due to fear, right? Because if I had to put a put a label on or a word to that, what you're describing, Mark, that's that that fear of change. And it goes back to what I was going to say a moment ago. My older brother is is one of my idols in this world. He was a he was a West Pointer, first Gulf War veteran. You know, got out as a young officer, went to graduate school, and has made millions of dollars since then. Um, is very successful, but. He and he's now a um, an executive director at a Fortune 50 bank, but he hates change, hates it with a passion. Will not admit that anything changes in the world. Um, everything is is to how he likes it and how it should be, and, and nothing will ever will ever change his opinion or his mindset on anything. It's, but he doesn't live in a world where he has to change. All he has to do is go to his office and then read and do what he does, and, and he's good. But in, in the soft world, back to Mark's point, to, to tie a bow on it. We don't have that ability, right? If it's a mission, we understand that there's an end state, that commander's intent, that commander's end state that's been dictated to us that we have to try and accomplish. And through that, there's no real ability to say, well, I just prefer to sit here in my comfort zone and do that. There, there's, you know, in, in any military, not just the soft world, but we're willing to embrace that fear because, one, we trust the guys to our left and right because there's that, you know, brotherhood of trust and intimate knowledge of the best core principles and practices out there. And, two, we trust in our own abilities, and we know that we're going to problem-solve correctly and find the right answer eventually. Yeah, yeah Scott, it's something else, you know, I, I think maybe your brother can he can afford to to control his environment a little bit more, where particularly on the team level, we never have that ability. And we're, we're, we're thrown a mission, uh, usually with, with not enough time to prepare and plan, not enough resources to execute. And then we've got to come up with a, a way to get to the end state. And, and I think that makes us uh, very different in, in a lot of ways than, than what you're talking about. And I think probably a lot of people in the business world are exactly like that. They're, they're, they're singularly focused. Uh, where we have to have you know multi aspects uh, in our field of view, and I think that makes things a little bit different in how we approach things, which we have to be we have to be adaptable in those cases. Well, when I talk to clients and my brother, I, I, it's one word, right? And I'll ask him why. Why do you do it like that? Why do you think it has to be done like that? You know, but it always starts with why. And when, and when my Marines, you know, when, when I worked for you know as a program manager, I would always ask my Marines the same question, and then I would warn them, "I'm going to ask you why." But when you start your answer, it better not be with the words because I've always done it like that or because we've always done it right that. You know, think new, think you know a new paradigm shift. Because when you get to that. Well, we've always done it this way. 
that's when you know you're stagnating and and you're not accomplishing the stuff that you can and again the only word i have is simplistically is fear fear of the unknown or fear of change you know and one of the things an organizational leader in the military particularly army you get to higher levels hates to hear is why and it you know i'm going to give you a little plug scott i read your article on linkedin today it was a great article it made me chuckle when you said why in that article about we were having those routine meetings and I got to think myself about, about routine meetings, and I, and I thought, for me, it's a social event. You know, do we really accomplish anything there, or do we just get together for the sake of getting together and seeing all the guys and, and, and having some camaraderie? And there's a great place for that in the military. It's usually in a CrossFit gym doing PT, and it shouldn't be around a, a boardroom table. So, but I, I, think, I think you're exactly right. There needs to be more people asking why why we're doing these meetings, why we're, we're trying to accomplish this particular objective. And, and out of that, we're going to get a lot more answers and uh, probably cut some of those meetings out. But it, you, you said it tonight, so I thought I'd mention the article that you wrote earlier today. <laughs> We could probably do a whole podcast show on meetings because, you know, then the private sector, they, they tend to have the pre-meeting before the meeting and then the post-meeting after the meeting. And, the, and there may be multiple uh, iterations of each of those, by the way. And, you know, we the could military be is just as bad, man. We could, be, we could be a lot more adaptable in the military if we completely did away with stats, metrics, and command and staff. And we just <laughs> spent our time either doing PT or on the range. Uh, more things would be accomplished than ever looking at slides on a projector. Well, think about it. In the military, we do the exact same thing, though, Robert. How much time is not only wasted in the meeting itself, but in the, well, I've got to be 10 minutes early to the meeting because that's what the, you know. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's the same way within the private sector, though. I, you know, you start breaking it down. Um, it was interesting you guys were talking about not just the meetings aspect of it, but just change and adaptability and getting in the comfort zone. When you start looking at people who get into that rhythm and to feeling comfortable in their space, that's probably when things are going to change. Yeah, I'll let Mike and Mark talk the, the soft stories and, and whatever, but uh, consulting wasn't worth the money that I could charge and get for it because of, of just the inordinate amount of time for, for dollar that I was getting in the backside. It was as if I was back at working at Starbucks, is Robert's favorite example of my <laughs> previous jobs. So so I, what I did find was a corporate training. So again, talking about it being adaptable, I said, well, all SF guys are teachers. I like to teach. I want to teach. Why not corporate training? So instead of trying to consult and change an organization in 90 days, which is damn near impossible, I would do corporate training events. And it's been a lot better off for everybody involved because they can receive the information, ask me follow-on questions, and we can move forward that way versus me bugging them daily to do the things I'm asking and tasking them to do. So what was that title again? Was it Master Barista? What was it? <laughs> <laughs> I was a I was the barista of the year for the North Shore of Chicago. So my cappuccino, um, skinny, skimmed, whatever cappuccino. But when I worked at Starbucks, to be fair, years and years ago, you didn't get to write on the cups. How you placed them up on the bar was how you remembered the drinks. So decaf and skim and latte and whatever. So, but I know it's your favorite example. Those, of those were the old days, Scott. Showing your age now. They didn't even write your name on it. For sure, man. It was when before I told my Frappuccinos wife, and all the fruity stuff. When I told my wife, Beth, that you were a master barista and got a big award up in Chicago for that, you know, that elevated you from just a regular old soft guy like me way up above because, you know, she used to own her own coffee shop. She's worked in coffee oh. shops before. She, she really understands that industry and that business. And she's like, this is a guy that has it going on. See, Obviously, there you go. He there. did that 
and then he went in the army. That wasn't that wasn't enough for him. And and that's man, that's adaptable, Scott. Look what you've become. Yeah, from coffee to uh, from. I'm his, blushing. If anybody from coffee to corporate, there's your next book. Coffee to corporate. There you go. From C to C. Trademarked, Mike Britch today. <laughs> it's easy again to counsel them to let them know that change is always going to be around them. Nothing is ever constant anymore. I mean, we, we obviously adapted at Starbucks to where we're writing names on the cups nowadays. So we we have to adapt and overcome. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. Your finger broke? <laughs> I was just scratching my head. Sorry. Okay. Gotcha. I, you know, I think the small the small things that change aren't near as, as, as muscle movements as the large things that change. If you look, look at currently what we're going through, and I'm going to touch on a, on a touchy sub, subject here. But, you know, the expansion of military into the combat arms, the expansion of military potentially into soft um, and, and watching the first two women go through the ranger school last year. You know, I, I personally went through this a couple of years ago with the repeal of don't ask, don't tell. And everybody was up in arms about how we were going to implement the new policy. So that's big change, man. That's not that's not small change. That's social change. That's change that people in the country or on different sides of, but if you look at how the military approached it, it's methodical. You know, that's that's one thing that we can do. You can agree with the policy, or you can disagree with the policy, but but one thing we can all agree on is that within the military, we're gonna we're gonna approach it in a methodical manner, and we're gonna use discipline to implement, and that's something that we're all very good at. So there's there's a couple of examples. One that, that's that's happened and nobody talks about anymore. And one that's that's going to be happening over the next couple of years, and uh, you know we'll see how successful it is. But I think that within the military, it's no longer an issue of whether or not we should do it, but how we go about implementing it. That's one thing that we do very well is implement orders. No, and I agree. I mean, talk about large scale adaptability. I mean, that's that's a great example because not only is that a a organizational level ad- ad- adaptation, but it's also a cultural and. J- Every level, it's going to resonate through every single level of the U.S. military, from from any level hierarchy, and and it's an amazing, you know, it's an amazing point to make because that's where we're going, and that's no finer example of of adaptability at an institutional level. So, do we think that fear is the primary issue? Then I think it is. Again, I think it goes back to it was a great point that was made earlier that fear is the reason why most people don't adapt easily to the change. Again, it's something that's always going to be around you. If you know that's the case, then you need to start getting more comfortable with it, whatever it may be, and making sure that you're starting to get adjusted to what's around you, whether it's the processes, whether it's the people, whether it's the industry that you're in, the market space, the procedures, whatever the case may be. And with that understanding, that that acceptance and understanding of change, there comes that comfort. And then through the comfort of change and the knowledge that change is going to happen, there comes the ability to expect change, anticipate change, incorporate it into your planning, you know, at all levels, you know, from logistical to operational, tactical, strategic, you know, tactical, operational, strategic, right? So, so I tell everybody all the time, my wife used to work at Vanderbilt and she would have all these young officers come over because their, their wives were doctors at Vanderbilt because she worked in a medical center and these young lieutenants and stuff who were married to doctors of Vanderbilt come to our house when I was a fifth group all the time and they would ask me what's selection like man like what's the Q course like how is this how is that and so 
I, I got tired of answering the question all the time, and, and so I would just tell them, you know, the, the Q course to me, and Robert, I've told you this before, is, is a beautiful beast because if nothing else, it, it enacts a paradigm shift in your brain to where it just – you go through SFA essence selection, special forces assessment selection, and all you can think about is, is kind of how the suck is happening and you're sucking and you're miserable and you're just putting one foot in front of the other and you're not quitting and you're doing all these things, right? Then you went to small unit tactics and there was still a lot of suck and then you went to MOS and there was still some suck. But by the time you got to SEER school and the end of the Q course, you, you didn't really care. You had a paradigm shift in your head because – you expected the suck was going to happen. You expected, you know, oh, I've been cold, wet, and tired before. I've been hungry, cold, wet, and tired before. And everything ends, and it just breeds it out of you. So, but it also breeds you into the planning process, that anticipation and acceptance of change. And you know that things are going to change. I've never received a mission anywhere in my life, in any time in the military, without the firm belief that at some point something was going to change, and that Murphy wasn't going to step in and throw a wrench in the plans, and that something wasn't going to happen. And you can try and plan six ways a Sunday and do pace planning and all these other methodologies, but I accepted the change was going to happen, and it, when it did, I was willing and able for it because the paradigm shift had already occurred in my brain. It's those people that don't accept it, that fight the change and fight that knowledge that it's alive and well and is going to happen to them. That's the people who really struggle and are not adaptable as a result. I think it comes back to, you know, Robert said, is it fear? You know, and what Scott just gave a, a, a great story of is how in his past he's dealt with fear, fear of uncertainty, fear of of, uh, of not making it through, fear of, you know, of, of failure. And but once once you've accomplished that, once you've been through that wall, most other things aren't as fearful. I, you know, I, that's the way I look at things today. I, I've accomplished some things in the I've, I've accomplished some things in the past that, you know, when you look at them as you're going into them. They're huge mountains, you know. But once you get over that mountain, it doesn't seem like anything in the future is is near as fearful, from my perspective. I think so. Maybe some people, when when forced into change or when forced into into accepting something they're uncomfortable with, uh, they've never had uh, to accomplish anything fearful in the past, and that's why people they they tackle different things in their lives. Some people go skydiving. People learn, you know, to to, to do something that they've never done. Uh, some people try to do something completely outside of their box and go to school, uh, but but and it's all fearful. Um, but in, in in retrospect, the things that particularly those of us that worked in the soft community have have seen and done in the past kind of make it. It gives you a perspective. Probably what helped you though, Mike, is that and for those who are comfortable with change and realize that it's kind of the constant that there's always going to be change there, and you end up adapting is that you broke through that wall and you were comfortable with it and you found the comfort from it. You know, obviously, if you're an individual who is uncomfortable with change and you find the fear within it, if you never accept that change, if you never accept breaking through that wall and actually becoming or seeing what's around you and that it's different and embracing it, then the next time it comes around, you're just going to be fearful again. You're going to keep repeating that because, again, that becomes your comfort zone you know, is you can't adapt to change. And you start thinking that. Well, it's also the, the ability that you accept facts, right? And, and you accept that 
things are going to change as a fact. You accept that things are going to be difficult as a fact. And, and it's through that, that paradigm that we shift and that we alter that we quit wishing, right? People aren't adaptable and they don't change not only because of fear, but because they wish things would be differently. And, and I hate that word, right? Like I, I don't want, you know, I, I kind of wrote an article contrary to John Acuff when he said like, why can't more of us be dreamers and wish for things and this? I'm like, I don't want dreamers. I don't want people who wish. In fact, I used to tell my Marines, I say like, well, Scott, I wish we could do this, you know, exercise or this operation or this whatever program differently. And I'd go, hey, dude, do me a favor. Hold out one hand and wish in it and hold out the other hand and crap in it. And then tell me which one fills up first, because I'm sick and tired of hearing the word wish. We can't, wishes don't do anything. We, we just have to move out, draw fire, put one foot in front of the other and accept that change is inevitable and it's going to happen. Yeah. You know, for me, the fact that I've accomplished those things that Scott so eloquently detailed, you know, five minutes ago, um, I, I've already broken through those walls. Those are the things that when I'm faced with some adversity today, man, it seems like they're not as as big. You know, and for me, it's writing, it's reading, you know, and, I, and I'm, I've always been been very good at accomplishing the physical things. Uh, some of the intellectual things have been a little bit, little bit more challenging for me. And so as I'm, as I'm looking at what's what's in the future, I always go back to a day in SFAS, and I, I wrote a, I wrote a very short paper for something on this yesterday. There was a day in SFAS for me, and it was miserable weather. It was nighttime. It was one of the, we don't, we didn't do land nav when I went through SFAS. We did what was called military orienteering. It was just designed to put lots and lots and lots of miles on your feet, so you weren't expected to leave the roads. You just had to move from point A to B, point A to point B, and you did it all day and all night long. On this particular day, it was just horrible, horrible weather. It rained from the time we got off the truck. Now, it was raining before we left Camp McCall. And, you know, they have a standing information for probably 20, 30 minutes before they board the trucks, call and roll call. We all went out and we stood in formation. And when they called roll call to get on the trucks, about 10 or 15 guys decided, nope, it's not for me. Uh, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm going back into the Butler huts. I'm going to get, you know, warm and dry. Well, I got on a truck. And um, we drove out to, the, to our start point. They called a roll to get off the truck, and three kids sat on the truck and said, nope. You know, I stood in the rain all morning. Uh, I, got on, I got on the truck. I moved to the start point, but that's, that's enough for me. Well, I got off the truck that day, and I started walking. I got my first point. I started walking. Man, it was miserable. I was cold. You know, it's, we were talking earlier, Robert, the, the, the storm you experienced today in Atlanta. There's a wet that you can only experience on the East Coast. And, and it's, it's just, it's wet to the spine, to the core. And that's the wet that I felt that day. And I, I remember vividly, I can, I can remember it like it's happening right now. I looked down at my feet and, and I had leather boots on and I had a lot of foot powder on because from the day before, also the same conditions, I had some immersion foot. So the tops of my feet, well, I'd lost the skin. So I had no skin on the tops of my feet. And I looked down at my boots and through the leather boots came white and red ooze, which is both foot powder and blood. And, uh, and I thought, man, this is, this is as bad as it could possibly be. And I wanted nothing more to go home. Uh, my wife was stationed in Texas, or I was stationed at Texas at the time. Uh, my wife and kids were there. I wanted nothing more to go home and just be warm and dry and have the comfort of my family. And of course, you know, I, I, I didn't. I didn't quit. I, I, I kept going that day. I made it to the end. The weather did get better, and the conditions got better for the rest of the course. And, you know, a, a long and, and, for me, successful career became from, be, because I did not quit. 
So that day, at a lot of points over the 22 years I spent in soft after that, and what I'll probably look at until the day they, they put me in the ground, that day is a day that I evaluate all other days by. And, and that was pretty dang bad. But I think that when you do something like that, yeah. uh, and, and you, can, you, can, you can use this, the litmus test for whatever it is. It doesn't matter. Right. But, you know, the fact that I've got a, a heavy load over my head at work or in school or, or with whatever else is going on, I think, you know, we have that to evaluate by. Things aren't ever as bad as they seem. You should never quit. You should always put that foot in front of the other and just keep moving toward your objective. You know, I'll tie this back even to making the transition. You know, when you're making the transition to uh, the private sector, you're going to see change coming. It's going to be a change in your skills. It's going to be a change in maybe the types of job that you're looking at. It's going to be a different use of maybe how you use those skills within the military. You're going to apply them differently. And again, it kind of goes back to, Mike, with what you were saying, that if you can go back on a story or go back on a time period where you can relate that to what you're getting ready to experience as you walk out the door, it'll help you then be able to adapt and make those changes even then through the transition, which I think a lot of folks struggle with. And we all know that because we see many of them working within those areas that are very comfortable with them, utilizing the same skill set, doing the same job. They basically walked out the door one day in a uniform and the next day in a suit, and they're doing the same thing. And that's not really change. It's somewhat but that's that comfort that you've gotten into that you don't want to leave. So as you make a transition, you're really making that change as well and having to make that, you know, and adapt. It's how people perceive you as well. Perception is going to come into play of being a soldier or sailor, airman, marine, and what it was that you did. And, you know, they may not even know what your job was. As soon as you said you were a soldier, sailor, airman, marine, they're automatically going to assume you were throwing bullets down range. So it's, a, it's overcoming the perception, uh, applying your skills to the change and, and to the new environment. And Mark, you're going to be experiencing that rather soon. Again, I would think that you're going to harken back on it like Mike did to your career and the things that you've had to adapt to. Oh, yeah, definitely. My wife teases me quite a bit about this because, you know, she works at a large copy company here in town. And when she has like an issue or something come up at work and then uh, she's telling me about it, you know, I'll throw in, like, our view on how we look at things. Well, did you talk to him about changing this or doing that or changing this so you don't have to do that? And she starts laughing and says, that's not how it works there. And to me, it's hilarious. <laughs> you know, like, I'll just sit back, like, like, well, why didn't you tell her about that? She's like, well, that's how it's done. You know, we go back to that's how it's always done. That's how it's always done. They won't change. You know, when she's telling me about it, I think mostly she's telling me about it just to vent a little bit because it's driving her nuts that it won't change. Uh, so when I do throw my answers out there, you know, I'll quick start going down a checklist. Say, well, you tried this. Have you told that? Or did you come up with an answer for this? You know, and uh, she kind of laughs at me. She's like, man, you were going to have it tough. And I was like, well, they're going to have to change then. <laughs> she uh, starts laughing at me about it. But, you know, like, because, you know, if we look at stuff like that, and I can see, like, hey, you know, we can be more productive. We can do this. We can do that. And I'll and I'll tell her about it. But she's like, that's just not how it works there. And it's not, you know, I'm like, well, have you sat down? And she's like, you don't just sit down with the guy running the place. To me, it's hilarious, you know, because we'll go up and talk to anybody. And in that part of it, you know, she's like, hey, you know, you can't just bully people. Because you do it, like, as a team sergeant. You know, you're running some, you know, rough dudes. 
that are tough and rough, and and then you have to be in charge of them guys, them type A personality dudes that are all really think they're in charge. And she kind of is always harping on me, like you can't just bully people. But you know we do it so much, and we see. But we we want to win, you know. And I can't just sit back and and look at that. And it says, you know, I want to fix this or change that. And I I'm always just looking for the big dub at the end of it. And <laughs> so that that will take some time for me. Like you know, like I'll have to find a place, you know, to where you know I can't. I'll I'll die in a cubicle. Scott was talking earlier how you know is. His brother doesn't let that change, and will go sit and do his thing every day. That would that would be the nail in my coffin, I'm sure. Well, because it's so anachronistic to who we are, any of us, right? That and my wife does the same thing with her company. She'll she'll start complaining. I go, well, why? And then before I realize, I'm playing the why game with her, and and I'm sure she goes over real well. Mad at me. I'm going. I'm not meaning to, you know, but yeah. it's just because it's that should be an easy fix. This isn't something that we have to talk about over dinner or talk about here or that's. That's a five-second fix. That's a no-brainer, you know. And she, and again, back to Mark's point, that's not how this works here with this company. You know, it's a global pharmaceutical company. They're not going to change on a dime. They'll just shake my head and walk away. I think what makes us more successful when we do get out of the private sector, because we're not one to be able to go necessarily with the flow, we'll evaluate the situation a lot better, we'll take it all in, and if it just doesn't make sense, we're probably ones to be able to bring that forward and go, you know what? It, it just, you could probably get more out of it. You could create greater, greater throughput. You could get speed to market. You can do whatever if you're open to adapting or changing to what the market's trying to tell you. Again, it's, it's what you guys are saying. I think those companies that are less flexible are those that usually don't survive in the marketplace very long as well. And part of being adaptable is as a massive benefit when you're looking at you know operational risk mitigation or just risk as a an entirety in itself, right? I mean, if you're not adaptable and you don't identify the risks and adapt to mitigate those risks, then you're doing your organization a massive disservice. But you know, I think they've got they've got a different level of investment than than we have in the military. You know, we're talking shareholders, we're talking investors. They have to show a profit, so they're a lot more cautious. Well, we don't have that in the military because if you don't show initiative and motivation in the military, you are not going to be successful. Again, there's a very different level of investment that we have uh, between in the military. It's not, it's not our money. It's not shareholders' money. We're not responsible to. We're, we're responsible to commanders, and we're responsible to show success uh, for mission accomplishment. There's a very different level of investment there. I learned something there. I understand a little bit about what, what the private sector has at risk. And uh, the risk versus gain that I would show as a team sergeant, there's a sergeant major, a guy, regular old soft guy, 18 Charlie on a team, is very different than somebody who has an account behind him that he's got to show you know, some profit for. And I think you know, one of my favorite quotes on the topic of adaptability is, it's not the strongest of the species that survives, not the most intelligent, but the one that's most responsive to change. And Darwin said that over 200 years ago. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at Mentors, the number four M-I-L, and please subscribe to our podcast. It's free, and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show. We have several options depending upon your device, and we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, at Stitcher, and at TuneIn Radio. It doesn't matter whether you are searching for your passion or purpose, finding your way through a military or civilian career, 
working on your fitness, or just about to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Get after it.